0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Becoming Unassailable podcast. This podcast is all about helping your executive or leadership team thrive amid change and disruption by embracing forward change together as a team which is the only way for your organization to become unassailable. My name is Mark Kenny, speaker, author, and strategic advisor, and each episode we'll tackle a challenge that is keeping your executive or leadership team from embracing forward change together. This episode gets a little more personal because I don't know that there is a leader that I've worked with who does not have times where they experience doubt, myself included, doubt in their ability to lead, doubt in their ability to bring a team together. So in this episode, we're talking about how to tackle the imposter to lead your team with confidence. Now, there seems to be more emphasis lately on what's called the imposter syndrome, And I wanted to have an episode about it because if we as leaders let the imposter dictate our actions, we're just not going to be as effective and we're not going to enjoy our work. So for this challenge, I turned to a person who has both lived being a leader as well as experienced that doubt that often creeps up in leaders and researched and wrote about it. So Chris Kelso is a keynote speaker, two-time entrepreneur, professional certified coach. He is the author of Overcoming the Imposter. Chris has worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs, business owners, and their leadership teams as a coach, facilitator, and mentor. And Chris has founded multiple companies and served on the board of directors of several nonprofit organizations. So please take a moment... And subscribe to this podcast so you get all future episodes. Please share this with someone else that you think would find value in this series of episodes. And let's get to the conversation. Chris Kelso, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being on the podcast episode today. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. You're welcome. You just wrote a book about the imposter syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) what is that? Let's define that first of all. Sure.
1: Imposter syndrome is a psychological term that was coined in the 1970s. And it refers to the tendency of many people, it turns out, to overvalue other people's success and other people's accomplishments and to undervalue or even doubt the reality of their own success. So I might look at Mark and say, man, Mark, Mark is successful because he's smart and he's savvy and he's educated and he, he seems to have a plan and execute it really well. And he really knows what he's doing. And my success, though, has been a lot of luck and timing and, and just figuring things out as I go. And I sure have made a lot of mistakes along the way and, and somehow I've just managed to figure out my way through it. And the underlying fear is that sooner or later, someone or everyone is going to figure out that I'm just making it up as I go. That I'm that I really don't know what I'm doing, but that maybe I'm a fraud or a poser or that I'm an imposter, and that if that happens, I'm going to be exposed and
0: it's all going to come crumbling down around me. That's great, and I have to laugh, Chris, because as you were describing that and using me as an example, I I could so turn that around and say that about <laughs> <like>, you <totally>. and me, <laughs> totally. And that's exactly the problem: is that so many people feel this
1: way. Uh, statistically, 70 to 80% of the population feels this way at certain times. And often the people that you look up to or admire are also feeling that way. It's just that we don't talk about it. And that's a big part of why I felt compelled to write this book and to start talking about this topic, because I just think it's, that it's important
0: that people realize that you're not the only one that feels that way. So I, I want to get into how this affects leaders of teams and organizations. One more question, though. Yeah. Your book isn't. It seems like it's not so much about the imposter syndrome, so much it is about the imposter. Is there something to that, and is that difference important? Well, I I, I gave a vo- a name to this voice
1: that is inside many people's heads. A lot of us have this inner critic. Uh, some people call it the voice of the saboteur or the gremlin or uh, the voice of self doubt but I started referring to that voice, that voice as the imposter. And, and I did that because it reminds me when I think about it and talk about it, that that voice in my head is not real. That voice, there's no one there. It's just, it really is just my self-doubt, but the voice itself is a fraud. And so um, the book is about imposter syndrome is sort of the, the technical term for the phenomenon, but I specifically wanted to, personify that inner critic so that we can argue against it so that we can talk back to it so that we can tell it to be quiet and tell it when uh where its place is and uh and and when it needs to stand down and let us move forward
0: yeah i like that i like having a name a persona that i can identify and yeah and even talk to a little bit so i think you're saying you would talk to it but Just kidding.
1: Yes. Well, it's funny because I've had uh, people, as I've talked about this, they said, "Oh, yeah, my, my inner critic or my, my imposter is this. I had a woman one time say, my imposter is a litigating attorney. And, uh, and she she was saying that that voice comes to me with data and evidence and compelling arguments and is, you know, really good at negotiating with me and I have to get good at fighting back. So, yeah, I think it helps people to realize that that's, that's, that's not, it's not a real thing, but it is something that's going on
0: inside our head and I can acknowledge it and push back against it. So my passion, Chris, and so I want to take this and apply this. So, so my passion is really getting teams, organizations moving in the same direction instead of different yeah. directions where they're really a team that works together and, and how the team goes, especially at the top of the organization goes. So you're also an entrepreneur, and business coach. Um, so, in your experience as an entrepreneur, a business coach, you've written this book and done research on this. How do you see the imposter impacting leaders of organizations?
1: Mm, it it definitely does, and and there's a couple of ways that it that it does that. You know, One of the things with entrepreneurs especially, but even if you're not an entrepreneur, even if you didn't start your company, people at the very top level of organizations, um, they tend to be somewhat isolated. They're kind of alone in their situation. The CEO rarely has a peer in their organization. There's nobody else at that level. Uh, it's sort of the, the curse of being the chief executive officer. You're just at the top by yourself. And so those leaders don't have anybody to really lean on that is in the same position or in the same boat as they are. And so what happens is, number one, they're seen as the person who has all the answers. They're sort of put on a pedestal, and they're held up as the supreme leader, if, especially if they're the founder of the company. They're the one that knows how everything is supposed to work. And people look to them and, and expect them to have all the answers, but the truth is, they don't, and they often are afraid to admit that they don't know something. That they don't. They they think that if they say I don't have the answer for this problem, that that that's going to create doubt in their leadership. That it's going to create uh, doubt and stress in the organization. And so they have to. They feel like they have to put this mask on and pretend to have it all together and to have all the answers. And when you do that, it actually exacerbates. That imposter syndrome because it makes you feel like a fraud because you're trying to
0: act like something you're not. I love this. So because sometimes I see that there's certain things that a leader must do, like only the leader must do, in my opinion or my experience. Yes. And and one of those is like really developing the team and making the team cohesive. Yes. Um. And what you're saying is the exact opposite is what's needed for that 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 level of vulnerability that is needed. To be able to yeah. say I don't know everything, or admit mistakes, or I need help, absolutely, it's actually what is needed to develop a team and for the team to really rally around and and move forward together. One of the key ingredients. So, so what I'm hearing is saying, Kirk, if I'm wrong, is that this imposter sy- syndrome gets in the way of a leader doing that. That's absolutely right, and and in fact, imposter
1: syndrome in many ways is the fear of vulnerability. It's the fear of being exposed. It's the fear of being open about flaws and weaknesses. Uh, But the antidote to imposter syndrome is also vulnerability. That's what you need to combat it. You need to open up. You need to get real and get honest. And Mark, as you know, with your work with leaders and leadership teams that a leader who is vulnerable and honest and authentic is going to be respected a lot more. And it's going to be a, a lot more effective as a leader than one who's trying to pretend to have it all together and who's who is sort of faking that they have all the answers, that they're supremely confident, and uh, and you know that they have no insecurities or weaknesses. So when we when we refuse to be vulnerable, we're less effective, and that's what imposter syndrome will do to us. That voice in our head will say, "You can't show a weakness. You can't admit a lack of knowledge. You can't acknowledge a failure. You can't apologize. You can't." Uh, admit you were wrong and change course,
0: and and those are all things that are really detrimental to a leader. So it's ironic. Like I want to maintain this persona in front of people, and so I don't want to admit those things, so I'm respected. And yeah, and uh, but but the irony is that that makes me not respected. And. When I go the other way and be vulnerable, that is actually when I'm respected and people look up to me. I think is what you're yeah. saying. That I agree with.
1: Yeah. And the and the dirty little secret is when you're pretending to be impervious and perfect and have it all together, people see through that. You you no one ever pulls that off fully. And so you do, you lose respect when you're unwilling to admit a weakness or a shortcoming or a failure. Uh, Because people realize that eventually something's going wrong and they start to see through those, that facade. Uh, So you do get, you get more respect by being honest and authentic than you do by trying to pretend that you have it all together.
0: Now, let me go back before we keep going on what to do about it. I think you said there were two ways this shows up for leaders of organizations. And you listed one, which is we feel isolated and we feel like we have to have all the answers. Was there another one there too as to how that shows up?
1: Yeah, the other way that that shows up is in a fear of failure that prevents you from taking risks. A fear of failure and failure in public especially will prevent you from experimenting from trying things that you're not certain of the outcome. And so when you, when you struggle with this feeling that if, if I do something wrong, I'm gonna be exposed as a fraud, people are gonna figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. You become very risk averse. You become very safe in your decision-making, in your uh, the bets that you're willing to place on things. And, um, and that's gonna put limits on your ability to lead and even to push others outside of their comfort zone. And I think that's, that's one of the things that really comes down to is that the magic happens outside of our comfort zone. The magic happens when we're growing, when we're stretching, when we're trying new things, but that voice in your head, the imposter will try to tell you that you can't take that risk because if you get it wrong or you make a mistake or you have a failure, that's going to sink you. That's going to ruin your career. So that's going to hold you back as a leader. You're not going to be able to lead people anywhere that you haven't already gone many, many times, and that's a very limited view of leadership.
0: That's that's really interesting, Chris. I like that. And, and what's going through my head? Like this organization is is going to go. This organization is going to move forward based on my leadership, but also like how this team, this at the top level works together and is aligned and is moving in the same direction. Yeah. But getting to that point isn't safe. It's, it's risky. You got, it's,
1: it is. You know, we already
0: talked about vulnerability. So if I'm not willing to be safe and I'm sorry, if I'm not willing to take risks or if I fear failure, like, I'm going to fail even with my team. And even in some of the hard conversations we need to have as a team. So I think there's a point that really just stands as in a way, almost like a wall of how do we get this team and organization moving in the same direction? Am I right? Yes, you are. And, and even if you don't
1: fail outright, you play it safe and you be really conservative and you only do things, you know, you can be successful at, you may not have a quote failure, but you'll have a really, really mediocre, meager level of success. And one that probably won't be very satisfying in the end. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, Mm -hmm. you're going to have very incremental progress, very uh, measured and limited uh, growth. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just gonna, it's going to hold you back. It's, it's, it's going to keep you from making the kind of big bets and taking the big swings That result in great results and big changes in
0: your organization. That's amazing, Chris. That that just tied a couple things together for me. Because some some of the times, some of the teams and leaders I'm I talk to, it's like it's not like everything is terrible. It's not like it's toxic. But it's like it's like we're stuck, or like we know we can do better, but we're just not quite sure what's what's holding us back. And I think you just talked to that. It, or, yeah. or spoke to that a little a little bit there. So that's really interesting. I'm glad you shared that.
1: Yeah, and and what's sad is that, you know, the big failures are easy to recognize. The the implosions because of a terrible culture and everyone leaves or the the big attempts at a moonshot type of business opportunity that that falls flat. Those are easy to recognize and easy to diagnose. The, the ones that are not are the the ones that just sort of plateau. And the ones that just sort of coast and never go anywhere and the, the, the places and the teams where people come in and they do their job and they get their paycheck and they go home and nothing's really bad, but mm. nothing's really good either.
0: You know, mm-hmm. not, there's
1: nothing great. They don't, they don't like to tell people about their work. They don't get satisfaction from the actual work that they do. They have to get their satisfaction by earning money and going and buying pleasures to enjoy their life rather than actually deriving pleasure from the work itself and from the community and the team and the organization that they're a part of. And I think those are the really sad stories where there's not an easy and obvious failure to point to. It's just sort of an accepted mediocrity uh, that just becomes the norm.
0: Wow. Now, <laughs> this, this is why I wanted to have you on, Chris, because I, I saw this, this really relates to what's going on out there. So I'm going to encourage people to read your book, to to come up with okay, if this resonates, like this is me, like I want I'm making a decision. I I want to move past that. You know, read Chris's book because there's some practice, I can tell you there's some practical methods and tools mm-hmm. in there. Can you give us one or two tips for someone that's listening to us now? As far as what do I do next? Like, how do I overcome this? You mentioned vulnerability, maybe. Like, yeah, what's a specific way that I can be vulnerable? Maybe I don't even, not even sure how to do that. What are one or two tips that somebody you could give somebody?
1: Yeah, it, it it really does require a change in several mindsets around some things, and one of those is vulnerability. And and so I've learned to use vulnerability um, not only to to be willing to be vulnerable and how valuable it is and how it helps others around me and also helps me to be vulnerable, but I've also used it. Learn to use it as a test for organizations, for communities. Uh, so I'll give you an example. When I um, join a new group, a new membership organization, or I meet a new group of people, or uh, you know, I go to an event where there's new people to, to get to know, and I'm trying to figure out, is this a community that I want to be a part of and that I can help? One of the things that I've learned to do is to, to get vulnerable pretty quickly and see how people react. Hmm. If I admit a weakness or a shortcoming or an insecurity, something that, I'm, that I feel like I should be better at than I am and I'm just not there and I'm trying to improve, if I admit that to people and the response that I get is defensiveness and putting on masks, people sort of saying, whoa, whoa that's not me. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what that's like. And, and they're sort of putting their masks on and trying to protect like that's uncomfortable then I know that this is a group of people that it's going to be hard to have real productive relationships and conversations with. But if on the other hand, I get vulnerable and I say, Hey, here's an area that I'm struggling and people lean in and say, Ooh, I'm so glad you said that because I struggle with that too. And I thought I was the only one and I would love to talk or, you know, I used to struggle with that, but let me tell you some things that that have helped me or that's not my issue, but I've got this other struggle and maybe I can help you with that. If you can help me with this. And and if people are willing to open up when I lead with that vulnerability, it tells me this is a community and a team and a group of people that, that I'm going to get a lot from, that I'm going to benefit from being a part of and where I'm not going to have to battle taking down all that armor to build relationships.
0: Would you say that that might be a, a good test for a leader with their team, like to gauge the level of vulnerability and health in their team to admit a mistake and seeing how others respond to that. Would you?
1: I would. In fact, with, with, for leaders, especially, it's really important because leaders set the tone, right? If a leader is, uh, is willing to open up and be vulnerable, then they signal to everyone else that it's safe to be vulnerable and they signal to their employees, to their team members, to their other leaders that you can tell me when something's wrong because I'm telling you that something's wrong and I'm demonstrating that it's okay to, to do that. Um, so it's really even more important for leaders to set the tone with vulnerability because they want their people to open up. I don't know many leaders that don't want to know about issues that exist that don't want to hear about the challenges and problems that are going on, that don't want their employees to admit if they're struggling somewhere so that they can get help. Uh, Not a lot of good leaders don't want to hear that stuff, but if they don't start and lead with that and demonstrate how it's safe and it's possible and it actually helps you, then uh, other people are, are not going to do that on their own. They're not likely to lead with that vulnerability until they see the leader
0: take that step. So what I'm hearing you say is, it's important for the leader to take that step and admit be mistakes. Admit I, I need help or I don't know everything, to be vulnerable and also yeah. kind of use that as a gauge for the team. Are people opening up? Are they being vulnerable? If they're yeah. not, then we probably have some work to do on the on the team in that in that area. Yeah. But I've got to set the tone as the as the leader and and if I take that a step further, just, just think of how I feel sometimes almost like not worrying so much about failing or how I look in front of the team or what, what people think of me or, or what, how other leaders act, just be myself and be vulnerable and not worry about the rest of that stuff. Am I thinking right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, You know, if, if a leader
1: is listening to this and they're watching us talk or listening to us talk and saying, I I don't know if my team, if any of my team struggles with imposter syndrome, I don't know if that is relevant. Number one, I will say it absolutely is because statistically it's 70 to 80% of the population. Many multiple studies have shown that, and it tends to be more prevalent among high achievers. So if you think it's not happening, if you think no one in your organization deals with imposter syndrome, That alone is a sign that you don't have a culture of vulnerability, that you don't have a culture of openness and authenticity, and you probably need to start talking about this with your people to get them to open up to get them to realize because every person in your organization that feels like they're the only one that feels like a fraud that that feels like they might be in over their head, if they think they're the only one, then they're putting armor on and they're masking and they're protecting, and they're spending a lot of energy trying to manage their image. And Mark, this is, this is probably one of the key ways that that talking about this and opening up about this can help the productivity of a team is that when you're managing your image, when you're trying to protect your reputation, when you're trying to to tell people what you think they want to hear you're spending a lot of effort on those things that you aren't actually spending on doing productive work. And so if you can strip away those pretenses, if you can allow people to feel safe getting vulnerable and honest, you take a huge load, a huge workload off their shoulders and off their mental capacity. And then they can actually apply that energy to working for the company, to getting jobs done, to serving customers, to to collaborating as a team. So, So getting vulnerability As a norm and making it healthy in your organization will absolutely
0: make your organization more productive. I guarantee it. Love it, Chris. Totally concur. Like, that's the starting point right there. And it it would be funny if it wasn't so serious. Like, all of us are pretending like we've got it. 80%, like we've got it all together and things are great. And 70, 80% of us, myself included, it's like, Watching over our shoulder, wondering how we're gonna be. So that that's remarkable. Um, And so much effort we use so much
1: effort and energy when we are doing that. And so the more I can peel those layers away and strip that away and minimize that work of managing image and protecting reputation, the better I can help people to be, and the more productive those teams and those companies can be.
0: Chris, uh, give me a little bit about what you do now, and how somebody can contact you if they want to learn a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I basically do three things. Uh, I work one-on-one with leaders of small businesses, primarily the owner-operator, but also with uh, members of the leadership team. Uh, secondly, I work with teams, uh, doing doing team health and goal setting and problem solving and facilitating a lot of learning around topics like this and, and several others. And the third thing that I do is, is public speaking. I'm a, a keynote speaker. I speak at conferences, at universities, at private company events, uh, and I talk about imposter syndrome and that wrestle, that battle and getting vulnerable and authentic and, and several other topics that I cover as well. Uh, so those are the that's the work that I do. I absolutely love my work. And uh, and people who want to find out more can find me at chriskelso.com. That's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, Kelso. <laughs> and uh, and you can find out about the book at overcomingtheimposter.com.
0: Awesome. So needed, Chris. Appreciate your work. Appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed it. It's always good to see you.